give me one shot here on a blue chip stock, believe me, Kevin, the only problem you're going to have is that you didn't buy more. Nobody knows if the stock is going to go up, down, sideways, or in circles. What's going on, NBA draft fans? Your boys are back. The Wolves of Ball Street, your favorite draft analyst, favorite draft analyst, the Draft Act, NBA Draft Podcast. Hitting you, we're, we're approaching our final few podcasts of the 2022 cycle before the draft hits. You know, obviously, we'll hit you with the, the post-draft analysis. But um, this episode, you know, normally we, we touch on one prospect and, and dive deep. We're still going to dive deep into these prospects. But today, we wanted to hit on some of the remaining wings in the class that, you know, we didn't get to do a full episode on. Because, honestly, the draft just snuck up on us. I feel like... Yeah. The last two drafts, man, have been this extended process, this extended cycle because of the COVID schedule, where 2020, the draft was in November, I think. Uh, Last year, the draft was late in July. So, you know, we're back on a normal schedule. And it was like finals hit and boom. It was like, oh, we got to get a move on it. We got to bang out some prospects. We got to let the audience know how we feel about the rest of these guys who, you know, are first rounders potentially. So we are going to touch on the wings today and that's Benedict Matherin, Tari Eason, Shaden Sharp and Usman Jang. So um, Albert, as Mm -hmm. uh, my co-host, I'm going to give you the opportunity to choose who we cover first. Well, first off, hello, everybody. As Corey said, it's been a freaking mad dash uh, to the finish line right now. Um, Let's start with... You know what? Let's start with a guy who I... I'll be honest. I've watched the least of him out of the four. Uh, But from what I've seen, and I I did watch him, the most intriguing, the most confusing, the most divisive i think of the four maybe other than eason uh because eason for random stuff but usman jang can we start there because oh. i have a lot of questions for you Corey, about Twist. usman jang i'm not gonna lie i did not think that you were going with usman jang here i i thought you were talking about shaden sharp um very interesting yeah let's start it out with uh the frenchman usman jang uh this is a a country that your personal favorite team has not had um success with drafting from after frank nilakina but uh uzman jank 6'9 185 pound 19 year old from france played overseas with the new zealand breakers this past year and he is ranked 17 on the no ceilings composite big board that is going to be dropping um maybe if you're listening to this today or it could be tomorrow, I'm not sure what the schedule is, but Usman Jang, um, really interesting prospect, man, because this is a, a kid who probably had the wildest swing out of any of the prospects as far as their draft stock hit, because they came in, you know, projected potential lottery guy and playing overseas in New Zealand, where we've seen, with this team, a guy like RJ Hampton, maybe not get the run and have the team do as much for their draft stock as he'd have liked. So that's where Jang went, and he struggled immensely coming into the year. Like, really badly to the point we were not entirely sure if this kid was going to, you know, be a, a 2022 guy. And then something happened. A flip switched. He felt more comfortable. He got some minutes and the kid really started producing. And when I started watching that tape, I'm not going to lie. I started texting people and, and I posted in our group chat and I was like, yo, this kid can play, man. And you saw it in, you know, cause I think his first game of the year, he had like a, a really solid game. He scored, he play made, and you could see some of the passes he was making that there was just this intuitiveness that he played with that was really intriguing about him. And again, then he struggled and he wasn't getting a lot of run. He wasn't shooting it. Well, it was really bad. Um, His frame, people said he's too skinny. He doesn't play with physicality, 
But for me, the first thing that jumped out, even after he started scoring and doing all of the stuff that he struggled with better, I think the thing that was a constant is he always kind of had the showed the playmaking feel, even if it's not like necessarily in the numbers, the way that he passes, the way that he operates out of the pick and roll for a kid who's rumored to be 6'10", it's really impressive, man. Especially if he played, you know, the season as an 18 year old, he just turned 19. I don't know. Uh, to me, he might be one of the three best passers in this draft. Like he's up there for me with Jalen Williams, as far as what his passing feel is like. That's fair. I totally get it. I think there is a lot to like about Usman Jang. I remember uh, last summer, I think it was either July or August. I think Mike Schmitz, he posted a video of Jang shooting in a gym. I think he was either in Vegas or in LA and he kind of hinted. He was like, Hey, this is a real, this kid's a real prospect for next year. Keep your eye out. And I think that's when he first came up on my radar. And um, Corey, I have to say, like, I think, you mentioned the passing, and I think the passing obviously is good. But um, the biggest thing is it, it felt like his season was literally a tale of two halves, which I think for me sometimes can make the evaluation that much harder because you never want to be too extreme either way. You never want to put all your stock into the first half or all your stock into the second half, and you kind of have to level things out and be like, okay, so from the really crappy tape, what can we learn here? And then from the really good tape, what can we learn here? And I think ultimately with Jang, there's a reason why he's being mocked where he's being mocked right now in the lottery. Because as much as the bad stuff was bad, even in the midst of the bad stuff, there was some good stuff. And Corey, you mentioned the playmaking is real. Uh, or at least the vision and the and the feel and all that stuff is definitely real. Uh, is there room for improvement? Of course, which is what I'm trying to allude to right now. I, I think some of the decision-making will come. But the fact is this, Corey, and I really believe this, and I know we're going to try to uh, make everything kind of compact here for all these prospects here, but I want to throw this in where I think sometimes, Corey, when it comes to vision, or not not sometimes, but almost all the time, is either you, you're either born with it or you're not. And for the guys who are born with it, uh, those guys are really special because if you're born with the vision, then what NBA coaches and front offices and, and what coaching staffs can do is then refine what's already there. And it's not like it's something that they have to teach him to do. It's just, okay, you have the skill and we're going to refine it. That's, that's what Jang is as a passer and as a playmaker. So I'm definitely there with you. And, um, my biggest thing, Corey, you're gonna ha- you highlighted his playmaking. For me, I really like his frame. I know hmm. he's skinny. I get it, but you can see the the outline of a frame that will be there soon. If that makes sense, like I don't look at his frame and worry. Like, okay, if you look at what was uh, Terquavion Smith, right from yeah. NC State, his frame concerns me. Right, Fair. Usman Jang, though, even if he's skinny, I'm looking at him. I'm like, oh, okay you're not far away from having an NBA body uh, with a different regimen and different program. Uh, you look like you're going to add weight and mass pretty easily. So I, I was actually very encouraged by his frame was kind of what I wanted to highlight. And I think that's important because one of the things I think that he needs to improve upon is his physicality. I, and I think that he definitely showed signs of improvements throughout the year i think that he embraced contact more so in the latter half of the season than he did early on and i don't think that's all that um scary when you look at how young he was playing in a professional league like you know the the nbl so it's it's not unusual but it's something that he does need to continue to work on i think that for as much for as as optimistic as i am about him as a processor about his feel and I really am because I think it's pretty special stuff. The when you see him attack the rim, he settles for a lot of floaters. Um, he's not necessarily using his length to finish like up and through or try to like yam it on somebody's head. Because I think he's not the bounciest guy ever. You know, he's he reminds me a little bit of like Paul George at times. Paul George would like he would go in and try to like literally destroy your life as a dunker and he doesn't have that mentality and i don't think he has that same bounce so maybe that's part of it but he's long and he's a a fine athlete so i think there are times where he's got to be aggressive getting into the body of the rim protector 
And I think that's something going forward he really needs to work on. Because, you know, the the touch is pretty okay on the floater. And I think that's a good shot. But that's like a good shot for somebody who's 6'4 or 6'5. Not somebody who's going to be 6'10. 6'10, I want you to go in, get to the line, finish up and through. And every once in a while, you bust out the floater to keep, you know, guys on their toes. But even still, I think he's capable of it. But aggressiveness is something that, like, also like feel, like the playmaking feel. Sometimes aggressiveness isn't always learned. Something Sometimes it is something that you have or you don't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, Corey, I 100% agree with you because there's one position that comes to mind, like, vividly. New Zealand, I don't obviously I don't know any of the guys on their team really, but um or actually no, I should. But Hugo. um Hugo Basson. Yeah, Hugo. I know I know Hugo. But it wasn't Hugo, but it was another guy. He's a guard, he's running pick and roll on the right side, right? And he comes over and Jang catches the ball. He throws it over to Jang on the weak side, um, the weak side wing. He catches and he has the whole lane in front of him. And instead of going to the lane, he literally takes one dribble stops at like foul line extended and throws up this really nice footer that goes in. But it's the weirdest thing I've ever seen because he has literally the whole lane in front of him and he just takes his one awkward dribble lands on two feet and throws up a floater. And I was like, okay, so this is weird. Um, I think it's cool that it went in and obviously the kid has touch, but uh, at six ten, like you're talking about Corey, that should be a two handed dunk with his testicles in somebody's face. Uh, is what that should have been a hundred percent. So it was very confusing to watch him do that consistently. Um, But yeah, I did want to throw that in there because he does have touch. Like clearly he has pretty nice touch. The floater is real, but I'm with you, man. And like the physicality with him, hopefully right. As he adds some more mass and he's a little bit more muscular because you can see it. Like his arms are like not twigs. He's got some mass on his arms, but it, it may not be like muscle right now. He is a little flabby, I thought, on his arms. I, it's hard to explain. It's like maybe it's like baby dough uh, yeah. is the best way to put it. Uh, but dude, I mean, he's going to be an NBA regiment, and that all that dough is going to turn into exactly. It's kind of the Paul uh, Paul Pierce uh, syndrome he has right now, but um, it's going to get toned, and he's going to have cement for arms. So hopefully that'll give him more confidence to attack the rim, but I'm 100% with you, man. Right now, it's way too many floaters. Yeah, and I think the the body, I think ultimately the guy that he might resemble is somebody that um, I'm sure he looks up to and I think plays a little bit like he said that he models his game after him a little bit, uh, Nick Batum. I think he can get that, because Batum is pretty you know, he's like a sturdy guy um, especially in his prime. And uh, even though he was long and lanky and, and thin, he, he had, you know, a, a frame that like, he wasn't going to get pushed around necessarily. So I think that's kind of the guy to emulate. Um, the shot making, I think is pretty impressive. Like he does stuff sometimes off the bounce, like the percentages aren't necessarily something that you're going to hang your hat on. You know, I had a guy, uh, an NBA um, scout tell me like, if your team is, super reliant on analytics you're gonna miss on Usman Jang because he's a guy that you actually have to watch the tape on and it's apparent because some of the shot making stuff's pretty advanced for for his age I you know I I don't know how long it's gonna take him to get to the point where he can consistently do that the NBA level but when you see guys who have that potential and you look at a guy like Anthony Simons who is it's clear that he's capable of something like that Jordan Poole and, and I know that these are guards and not bigs but I think that's kind of a you know uh, a tip of the cap to you know Usman that he kind of has these guard skills that are apparent and, and the potential to do some guard stuff at 610 so I, I don't know I where are you at with his his shooting and his shot making so I wanted to ask you about the shot because I thought Corey mechanically um, I had a question about it because I thought and it may just be me right I thought it was a little like slingshotty from the left side of his head there's like a little bit of like a I, I don't know why I'm doing this on camera. Like that's going to help you understand <laughs> what I'm saying. But I thought it was a little bit slingshotty, but overall, like I kind of like how his body squares up real nice and it looks pretty fluid. So wanted to ask you shot doctor, uh, what you thought about the overall shot. Cause I, that's something that I saw, but it could just be me. And maybe it's just like the, the biophysics of his body or whatever. So maybe you can shed some more light on that. Yeah. I'm not really, it's not something I really picked on up on okay. too much. I mean, it's not Lonzo ball, you know, from in UCLA, uh, 
I think that a lot of these young guys, they have that one motion shot. You know, they don't mm-hmm. have like the the Ben Gordon, you know, more like traditional beef type thing that you saw that you would learn growing up. I think, you know, Steph changed the way people want to shoot now. So he has yeah. a little bit of that. So sometimes that could be it. But I think if there was one tweak, sometimes he's like a little like hunched over when he's shooting. Like, I, I don't know. Like if you watch Chet shoot, he's, he's up, he's tall, he's shooting at his peak. Sometimes Usman almost makes himself like two inches shorter when he's shooting. But mm. ultimately I think it's a smooth shot. He can knock it down off the catch and off the bounce. And um, I like it. I think he's, there, there's a lot of rumors that he's, you know, rumored to be promised by Cleveland at 14 if he lasts that long. And I think that wow. there's a shot that he's taken earlier, but he's the type of guy that, I would bet on because he could handle the ball. He could initiate offense. He could play off the ball. And then I think ultimately he's going to be able to defend, you know, I think For now sure. he's going to struggle with, you know, guys like, you know, cause if he's six ten, six nine, six ten, he's going to be playing a lot of swing wing three slash yeah. four. And that's guys like Kawhi, Paul George, um, OG Ananobi, you know, Pascal Siakam, just guys yeah. that are really big and strong that are going to out physic, you know, like I'm more concerned about him dealing with the physicality than Chet dealing with the, with big men, mm. physica- you know, physically. Cause I think that the four position, which is really just like, you know, threes that are playing up. Yeah. There's a lot of strong guys that, that play that spot now, you know, like even Harrison Barnes is a guy that is just, or, or Andrew Wiggins, Jason Tatum are, are going to, you know, be a lot for him physically. Uh, but I do like his potential, long-term on defense because i think he's long and disruptive and he has good feet no for sure i think guys like marcus morris would just beat the shit out of him yeah. um or at least talk about it <laughs> <laughs> um yeah but yeah, i i get it man those threes those tougher threes right even like a dylan brooks i think would give him a hard time not that dylan brooks is gonna gonna be like hey you know, give me an inbound, throw me a pass and let me entry and let me post him up on the block. But um, yeah, I, I, what do you think it is, Corey? I thought it was his lower half. Um, like with Chet, I feel like the reason why Chet can be so competitive as a big is because he's pretty strong in his lower half, although, you know, doesn't look like it. Um, Jang, though, I was wondering, do, do you think it's the lower half? Do you think it's just overall muscle? Uh, what were you thinking with that? I think it's embracing physicality. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mentality. I mean, I, he definitely doesn't have the strongest core, yeah. you know, but to me, it's like, if you're going to embrace physicality, you're going to be fine, Yeah. you know? And that to me, that's a question is, you know, is he going to be quote unquote, like play tough, you know? And, mm-hmm. and I, I think that the resilience that he showed throughout the season to finish as strong as he did, I, I think that maybe you could bet on him, you know, being, uh, playing tough down the line. Um, let's, uh, transition to one of these other guys. Let's talk about Tari Eason from LSU. He is Mm -hmm. the 19th ranked prospect on the no ceilings composite big board, our final big board of the year. But Tari Eason is a guy that has really been uh an interesting conversation over the last couple of weeks um the lsu wing six eight seven two wingspan measured in with like kawaii size mitts which impressive uh 220 21 years old just turned 21 years old so a little bit older although um you know he's a sophomore uh he averaged 17 points a game seven rebounds two steals and a block Shot 52% from the field, 36% from three, 80% from the line. He did this all in 24 minutes, mostly off the bench. So there's this weird thing with him where he was ridiculously efficient in the time that he played. I mean, he had a 33.4 PER, 61.5 true shooting percentage. Um he had a 14.7 box score plus minus. Like this guy was just really effective in the minutes that he played. And yet, you know, uh, we have him at 19 on our board, our collective board. And this is a guy who is, you're either like, this guy is a top 10 pick or you're like, yeah, I would let him fall to the twenties and take him there. What do you think is 
the disconnect between what the numbers and the production is saying versus how people feel about his game because his numbers stack up with a guy like Keegan Murray and he's in a very similar situation. So what's what's the disconnect? Well, okay. The first thing that we have to mention, Corey, is that clearly there's some stuff that's going on off the court behind the scenes that we know nothing about. Um, in my humble opinion, Corey, I feel like, I don't know. I, I, I know a lot of times like whether there's smoke, there's fire. But at the same time, like I do wonder like how much there is to all this stuff. Uh, is some of it getting overblown or certain people reporting it in a fashion that's making it seem bigger than it is. But um, I think it's a little unfortunate that his stock right now is dropping a little bit and it really doesn't have anything at all to do with his play on the court, which I think is really unfortunate because as you mentioned, Corey, you watch him play, you go to his tape and you actually watch the guy play. He's a really impactful player. Uh, And all those numbers that you just rattled off, they're not just empty calories, empty stats. Like he was truly an impactful player. I think he was playing in a weird situation at LSU. Um, Not the most talented, most organized, most fun roster or style of play or anything, all the above. Um, But he was impactful in his minutes, as you mentioned, coming off the bench. Um, It's hard to understand. And he's a guy that recently, Corey, I had to do like a double take, double deep dive into his tape because I didn't realize how much you loved him. And I was like, you know what? If Corey loves him, there's got to be something that I'm missing here, too, because he was much lower on my board. And I went back and I realized, like, okay, yeah, like I I was missing stuff. And there are like key principles and things that I believe in that I wasn't applying to Tar East. And like the biggest thing for us is when we talk about shooting upside guys who shoot the ball well from the free throw line, we happen to really like those guys as potential shooters. And for whatever reason, I was much lower on him on a shooter. And then I went back and watched his stuff again and then looked at his numbers and I was like, well, okay, so I'm not really practicing what I preach here. He's actually a pretty decent looking shooter. So um, the, I guess maybe a good place for us to start with him is that I think he's going to be a good shooter on the next level. And I think there's enough proof there in college, obviously lower minutes, but shot it well from the free throw line, which is really important to us. The shot looks fine to me. I know it's a little bit different kind of from the side type of thing, but we saw it with Trey Murphy last year. We see it with a lot of different guys. I have no problem with how it looks. Um, And that's obviously without us even talking about the defensive side, but offensively, I like the shot. I like the handling. I like the playmaking. There's a lot of, there are a lot of tools there for him to work with. So I'm cool with Tari. I like Tari. Yeah. I mean, for me, like, you know, he's been mocked to the bulls a lot at 18, like great. You know, I, one of my philosophies this year was like, what would Masai do? And would Masai Ujiri like draft a guy like Tari Eason? I think he would. I think he would bet on the measurables on the fact that, you know, he was as productive as he was and be like, Hey, we could figure out the other stuff later the processing and like that stuff will be learned he's got these really unique tools and he was really effective in the minutes that he played so i i buy the shot too like do i think he's a lock to be a 36 percent shooter not necessarily but um i think that he's a guy that ultimately um like you said the the free throw percentage is encouraging he's a hard worker clearly and He's a guy that I think is um, going to be good enough that he's going to be able to attack closeouts. Um, you know, and you see what he's like in the open court when he's able to get a step. He definitely needs to work on his left hand and and his finishing package with his left hand because he he does really favor that right side to a point where NBA defenses are smart and they'll they'll shade him and they'll weak him and they'll they'll make him uncomfortable. But um, I think he's going to be physically strong enough to handle the NBA from jump street and you know, he might not get, you know, average two steals a game as a rookie. He might not average a block a game as a rookie. Maybe, um, you know, our friend Kurt in the chat, so, you know, thoughts on his defensive impact production being inflated due to LSU's chaotic scheme. I think that scheme always helps, but um, you know, at the same time, he did what he was supposed to do. You know, if your coach is executing a specific scheme and, and I, and I think it's a little different than, you know, like if he was on Syracuse and you're trying to project forward in a zone, uh, I think it's a little bit different. Um, 
but I think he's going to be able to hard hedge. Uh, he's going to be able to switch. He's going to be able to guard on the perimeter and he's got the length to recover. Um, you know, I, I think that he's a guy that, you know, he's going to get to the line in the NBA. I think with the spacing and the way he attacks the rim, I, there are things he's got to improve, but that's why he's not a lock. But ultimately I think he's a bet for that. A team could take in the lottery. Now you mentioned like, there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes who knows how he's interviewing, but at the end of the day, these guys are young and you know, I don't love interview answers all the times that some of these guys give, but LaMelo had like a, a historically bad interview process. Right. <laughs> and LaMelo ball has been fine. So sometimes it's, it's just a matter of these guys aren't like trained to be media professionals um, right. as young adults. But I, I think that Eason's a guy that if you get him at 19 at 20, it's like a, a home run pick. Cause I think he's a guy that ultimately like what scenario, how many scenarios does he just flame out of the league? A league that is trending with all of his skills is, is my thing. Like how, yeah. what do you think the likelihood that he's just not a, a guy who sticks in an NBA rotation? <sighs> I don't know, Corey. I, I, that's a tough question. But the biggest thing that I want to piggyback off it, that I really agree with you is that I think sometimes like the, the interview stuff can get way overblown. Like we see it in the NFL all the time, right? With like the Wonderlic test. I know they don't do it anymore, but they used to love like smart quarterbacks who can talk the yeah. game well. In the NBA too, like I'm sure, oh yeah, I'm sure Malik Rose was fantastic as an interview. How was his career? He was fine. I mean, he was just he played a, a career, time. yeah, career role player who, what what did he do? He let people post him up and then pull the chair on them and watch them trip over. And that's what he was known for in the NBA. Fantastic career, right? Um, I think Tari Eason, even if his interviews are not great, I think Tari Eason is going to be a really good player who's going to offer a lot. Um, I, I think, Corey, with what you're saying, like, I, I just feel like overall, like, considering what he can do and the versatility that he's going to offer, he will be just fine in the NBA. Um, if anything, Corey, and this is not even like a critique or anything like that. Just wondering if this is just what I'm seeing. Do you feel like he looks a little smaller than he's listed? Like I, I didn't feel he was as big as he he's listed as I, I don't know. It, it could be like, maybe he has like long torso of short leg syndrome or. Whatever. Yeah. I think he's got, he's got those um i think his leg i don't know if it's his legs are a little bit shorter than his upper body or his length and his arms are so long that it makes his body look disproportional Mm -hmm. because i feel Mm -hmm. like he's like i mean a 7-2 wingspan is pretty impressive but it almost feels longer looking at him, but I, I I didn't feel like he was shorter. I mean, if he's listed at six nine, six eight, like mm-hmm. he's listed at six eight. I don't know, six eight feels legit to me. But okay. you know, I think the issue with him, you know, I think sometimes he f- flashes pretty good um, passing reads, but he definitely doesn't do it consistently enough. He's definitely more geared to to score the ball, um, to be a play finisher, one assist, 2.2 turnovers, you know, our friend, uh, Pierre from through the wire, you know, mentioned like during our Johnny Davis episode that he, you know, doesn't like the guys who are, have that negative assist to turnover ratio. He thinks that, you know, those guys ultimately, um, you know, there's a lot of work to be done and, I agree. And the NBA level, it's about quick decisions. It's about moving the ball. It's about playing, you know, trying to play the possession game. I think the Celtics, they were so loose with the ball throughout the playoffs. And that was ultimately one of the things that led to their demise. They just went into one-on-one and, and made bad decisions. Um, And you saw that all throughout the playoffs. So I I think that's the main thing with him. Um, You know, the, the shooting, you have to buy long-term and then the decision-making, but I like seeing guys improve and, you know, he went from 46% from the field to 52% from the field. He went from 24% from three to 36% from three. 
Uh, he went from 57% from the line to 80% from the line. You know, these are all positive signs, you know, um, and the defense, you know, that was always, always there. So I guess you have to buy in the fact that he did all this in low minutes. Why was he right. getting limited minutes? But Scotty Barnes came off the bench, played limited minutes. Patrick Williams off the bench, limited minutes. I just think he's the art. He fits the archetype of the modern NBA. So that's why I'm willing to to bet on him. Maybe he was a guy that back in the day, even a few years ago, I wouldn't have been as high mm-hmm. on, but I think that now he just, I think he fits the the direction that the league is headed. And I think that, you know, as long as you're not taking him at pick seven or pick eight, where you're like, yeah. he's your main guy. Like if you're a team like the Rockets who has one of these, uh, you know, has two lottery picks or you're a team like Charlotte who has two lottery picks and you're rumored that you don't want to pay miles bridges. Maybe that's a good way to fill some of that production, you know, taking a shot with the second pick at 15 or something. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And really quickly, Corey, before we move on, I think with Eason, yeah, like the first thing that I want to say, like defensively, I love how he moves laterally. I think that stuff's like really, really good. Um, I, I think that's really going to help him a lot. Um, offensively, my one critique, this is my only one critique. And obviously, like, you know, this is fair for a lot of different guys in college or whatever. But I, I thought like in big moments, sometimes he kind of disappeared, which I understand, you know, he's young, whatever. But there were times where, especially like SEC tournament games and whatever, like I felt like I was kind of like, where is he? Um, and you know, there were certain times where he was kind of struggling to get to his spot and score and whatever. But I, I'm not, I don't say that as like a fatal flaw. I say it more as like, Hey Tari, like, I think this is something that you need to work on as you get to the next level. Like I, I, I know that he's impactful and that he, he did a lot, but there were also moments that I thought he kind of disappeared. So that's something I'm hoping he, uh, he works on. And that's completely fair. Um, and I think that, you know, like, you know, Frank Kurt is Josh Jackson an unfair comparative case study in how Eason could be a miss. And I think that's probably the right kind of player as, as how he would be a miss. I mean, Josh Jackson was pretty good as a freshman. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was that one thing, like I was always kind of worried about Josh. I wasn't a Josh Jackson guy personally. Same. Um, but I could see that, but the difference is you're probably drafting Tari at the back end of the lottery slash 15 to 20 range. You know, I've heard 23 is his floor at Philadelphia versus Josh Jackson, who was what the fourth pick in the draft. Exactly. So there's expectations that come with that where it's harder to be patient with a guy like that. And then, you know, I think, you know, Josh had other stuff that he was dealing with, but as a player, I do think that's a fair downside comp. I mean, just really quickly, I always thought, like, I, I never thought there was really a roadmap for Josh Jackson to ever be a good shooter. Um, I hate, I really didn't like his shooting at all, and I thought yeah. the form and everything looked so weird and, like, just not fluid or connected, and there were so many moving parts, so I actually never liked him as a shooter. Meanwhile, Easton, though, you see him at the free throw line, it looks fluid, and yeah. I, I think there's a roadmap for him to be at least a decent shooter, so not no disrespect to you, Kurt, but yeah. I just want I, to I like I like his upper body. I know that he, yes. you know, it's off to the side, but I think the upper yeah. body is fluid. Sometimes the footwork I think needs work. Mm-hmm. Um and maybe that's part of, you know, the body that we discussed with like the weird the the shorter lower half versus the maybe that has something <laughs> why it looks a little funky sometimes. I don't know. Yeah. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, let's uh, let's move on to Benedict Matherin, um, who is I think one of the players in this draft that most people feel good about <laughs> except for except for you you've you've kind of been out on him the, the whole year but uh Matherin comes in at number 10 on the no ceilings consensus big board um 6'6 6'9 wingspan 205 just turned 20 sophomore 
17.7 points per game, 5.6 rebounds, two and a half assists, shot 45% from the floor, 37% from three, 76% from the line. And the three-point volume was on about six attempts per game. He shot it 42% as a freshman. This is a guy that a lot of people would have drafted last year. He's athletic, um, could be a two-way wing. So Benedict Matherin, tell me your reservations because you've been iffy about him all year. And I don't know how much how much you've been iffy on this podcast about him because we've mentioned him before. But you've definitely, you know, you've been in the chat being being the guy that's like, let's think about this a little bit. So what is the holdup for you with Matherin? And this is a guy that you saw multiple times live this year. So, okay, I do want to say this. My position on Matherin has gone back and forth so many times that at this point, I don't even know if I like him or hate him or not. It's a very <laughs> strange experience I've had with Matherin where, so my first experience with Matherin was last year, where heading into last year's draft, I really liked him. And I was like, hey, don't go back to school, enter the draft. He's a guy that NBA teams should take a bet on and grab at the end of the first round was how I felt. I was actually super high on him last year. Then he went back to school. And then I watched more of his tape over the summer. And I remember I did a pod with Steven, uh, Steven Gillespie. And I did a deep dive of his tape. And I was like, you know what? I don't know if I like this guy as much. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I believe in the shot as much as everybody else does. And I don't think he's as elite of an athlete as everyone is claiming him to be. So that's where I started ending up. And I was like, it very negative in my head. I was like, yeah, people are overhyping his athleticism. The shooting is good, but it's not as great as people make it seem, blah, blah, blah. Then I go to watch him live, right? And I watch him live. And the guy is built like an absolute Greek god, number one. It's <laughs> unreal. His physique is crazy, like absolutely insane. And then you watch him play and... You start to understand a little bit more as to why people like him. And also, like, I started tapping back into why I liked him in the first place, right? Um, you can see, okay, the shooting is developing. The ball handling is developing. Him attacking the rim is developing. So, Corey, I think where I am right now is I like the developmental track. However, I don't know that I love him as much as I love the other wings in this draft, because I feel like some of the other wings in this, in this draft either have higher ceilings or they have higher floors than him already. Um, is kind of how I feel about him right now. If that makes sense. It does. It does. And he's a guy I've struggled with because there are times I've been super high on him. There's times right. I've been lower on him. Ultimately, I think he's one of the safer wings in the draft who has the potential to be maybe, you know, a, a Victor Oladipo type guy. If the ball handling and the shot making develops, if he goes to a situation where he's given freedom to kind of, um, you know, just not have to worry about getting wins necessarily, but he can focus on developing his weaknesses. But I look at the spots that he may be, linked to and i don't necessarily think he would get that opportunity on these teams like unless he goes to a detroit maybe in indiana maybe but i think halliburton's doing and Cade are still doing so much of the the ball mm -hmm. handling it i struggle to find where he would be able to work out just all right it doesn't matter if you shoot 42 percent from the field we just want to see you create your own shot consistently. But at the same time, going to a Detroit, an Indiana, a Portland, a New Orleans, a San Antonio, a Washington, these are all spots where he can continue to build off what he started at Arizona as a guy who is really good shooting off movement, as a guy who... And he hit some really tough movement shots. Yeah, like hand in his did. face. I love that he gets elevation. I do think that he gets a little palmy with the ball sometimes, you know, and, and I'm a big, like, keep the ball in your fingertips kind of guy, but mm -hmm. he hit a lot of tough shots. Um, he could obviously hit off a knockdown. You have to respect him. You have to close out. And that's when he could use his athleticism and, you know, attack, attack those closeouts to get to the rim. He's obviously capable of putting you on a poster. I agree. I don't think he's like an elite level athlete. I think he's mm -hmm. a very good NBA athlete, but not an elite yes. one. 
Um, but I struggle with like, for a while I was like, well, he's an easier fit than Johnny Davis. So I had them linked and I had him above Johnny. And I think I've said that on this podcast sometimes. Yeah, yeah. But I I went back and I, I put Johnny ahead of him. But I went back again to watch Johnny's tape because I'm just like, I think Johnny's going to be fine playing off the ball. I think it'll be fine. And I buy his self-creation and I buy his defense a little bit more. I like, I think Matherin's a good defender and has the potential to be a good defender. I know Nathan um, likes to give the Andrew Wiggins comp, which I think is a fair comp, but Wiggins is bigger. Yeah. You know, Wiggins is six, eight, seven foot wingspan. Matherin's six, six with a six, nine wingspan. There's a gap that I, I think that, if he was just a little bit taller, I'd be a little higher on him. And maybe that is foolish. I don't know. But I think it matters a little bit when you're projecting him to like, can he comfortably guard some of these new age fours? I'm not sure. Like he seems yeah. more like he's going to guard like twos and threes versus threes and fours. And sure. Like he could switch off to fours sometimes. Cause like you said, he's very well built. Yeah. But I don't know how much like playmaking equities had. He's looked okay at times. With, you know, playing pick and roll, he's I, I don't think he's ever going to be a high usage playmaker, but I think he'll be adequate enough. If Zach Levine can turn into an adequate playmaker, I think that anybody can. Yeah. But does he get to the point like if you're taking him at six, mm-hmm. are you hoping that he just turns into like an efficient 18 points, six rebound, three assist guy? Or are you like, this is a guy I could see being a 24 point per game guy? Like, is that because because that's where I struggle. Like, I don't know if I see that he could be a 24 point per game number one option type of player. And I do think there are some out there that think that and maybe he can be. I just struggle to see it. No, I agree. And I think that's exactly the reason why he's getting mocked. Like, even I've seen some people mock him to the Pistons at five. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, cool. So you want to grab a guy who isn't like who can create a little bit, but isn't known for it yet. And you're really kind of taking a flyer here. What's the basis for taking him that high at five when a guy like Johnny Davis, who's proven that he can be the offensive focal point and the defensive focal point for a team consistently. Why would you take Matherin over that guy is kind of where I'm baffled. And Corey, for me, the big thing with Matherin, I do want to give him credit though. He's really good at cutting off ball. Um, his yes. off-ball movement is actually phenomenal. And Agreed. the connection that he had with Kirk Creesa and Dalen Terry was actually phenomenal. So I want to give him his, his credit there. I just thought defensively, there are times where he can float. And that's something that Rucker and I, we noticed that when he's locked in, he's locked in and he can do a great job and switch and be physical with all kinds of guys. But when he's not and he's floating a little bit and he's losing his focus, it is not the best. So that is something that we have to worry about. But just going back to your question, do I see him as a 24 point per game type of guy? I really don't. And, 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 you know, even going to the Nate comparison of Andrew Wiggins, I agree with you. Andrew Wiggins is a lot bigger and he's like actually like kind of imposing how tall he is and how springy he is as an athlete. But Matherin may end up being that type of guy. You know, like 17, 18 point per game and he'll grab you some rebounds and, you know, have a couple of assists. But I just don't see the high end um, ceiling where he becomes like a number one option where he's like even touching like 25 points per game. I just can't get there with him at all, actually. I think there's a world where it happens. I just am not sure it's the outcome you're you want. Like if that's (laughs) if he's the guy who's your number one option is averaging 24 points per game. Mm -hmm. I don't, as much as I think he's going to be an okay passer, I just don't think he's going to be a good enough passer playmaker that it's going to make up for it. And look, Jalen Brown, I think has struggled consistently being a playmaker. He's a guy that's probably around the same height. I think Jalen looks beefier now, but not coming out of college. Yeah. So maybe he turns into Jalen Brown. And that's a guy who definitely can get buckets, but that I don't know if you want Jalen as your number one option. He definitely showed that how valuable that ability is in the playoffs and in the finals. And a lot of times he was carrying the Celtics. Yeah. 
so maybe his upside outcome is Jalen Brown as a scorer, as a guy who's he's going to rebound. He could play defense, athletic, can play off the ball, doesn't have to be your dominant guy, but next to the right guy can put up a good amount of points. But maybe that's like the ideal scenario, and I think it's going to be hard to replicate. Yeah. I think more realistically, Corey, I see like Aaron Aflalo. I, I think that could be a more realistic outcome for him where Aflalo had some good seasons of scoring. I think he had a season where he scored over 20 points a game. With the, so, with the Knicks? Was it with the Knicks? <clears throat> Orlando? <laughs> uh, yeah, he definitely did it with Orlando, um, but he did have like one decent season with the Knicks. But I could see, and, and th- that's not a slight either. Like Aflalo had a good career, made good money in the league. He's but a good I role player like- in Denver. For sure. So I, I could definitely see that type of role for Mather. Maybe like in a Flalo Plus, where he's like that type yeah. of player, but a little bit better, can offer a little bit more juice as a playmaker. Yeah. And I I think I think I still think he's gonna be a better player than a Flalo was, but I that was the name I was thinking in my head when it was like if he's your number one option, that's kind mm-hmm. of the scenario where it's just like rebuilding team, gets traded there, not leading to wins. Right empty calories type stuff. But I do think he's the type of guy that will be able to play on winning teams because he's yes. so versatile as an off ball player. Mm-hmm. And that's valuable. He's a lottery talent for sure. And I think there's an argument that, you know, when you look back, he could be the seventh or eighth best player in this draft pretty easily. I just think if you take him at five, you know, like he's been rumored at certain times, I would be weary because like, and I know I'm, obnoxiously high on AJ Griffin, but it's hard for me to find reasons why I would take AJ, like take him over AJ right now. Mm -hmm. When I think they're similar, AJ's younger might be a better shooter. And I think he's got more on the ball equity. Yeah. You know, and I get the defense right now. People probably feel as worlds apart, but I think that all of AJ's defensive stuff is just coaching. And, yeah. you know, cause the effort is there and he showed uh, again, in my opinion, uh, I might be alone on the Island. I, he showed enough flashes, but yeah, the, the thing with Matherin is, is he does feel safe. He does feel like a guy you could bank on. And the last guy we're going to talk about, I don't know if he's safe. I don't know if he's a guy you could bank on. I did. I've had him up as high as like three and four on my board. Yeah. Because when I just look at the film and I look at the talent, it pops. Man, does it pop. And we talked about how interviews do not make or break a player. These are young kids. They're being, you know, given advice. But fuck, Shaden Sharp has not interviewed well. Some of his quotes, that quote with the Kings. Yeah. They can get their little shine. <laughs> talking <laughs> talking about all-stars like Dematis Sabonis. <laughs> National champions like Davion Mitchell and high lottery picks like De'Aaron Fox. Champions like uh, Harrison Barnes. They can get their little shine. I was like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> I don't love that. (laughs) So as much as interviews don't matter, do they? (laughs) I'm sorry, folks, for all the names out there. I I apologize. I'm being, being very unprofessional right now, but holy shit. Like it's hilarious to think about the fact that he said that with an actual camera uh, directed at his face is unbelievable, Corey. It's unbelievable. And then he said, I think it was with the Pacers workout. He was like, they're like, what's the difference between, you know, or like, how are you preparing for the transition? Like, and he was like, I think it's going to be the same from high school to the NBA. And then he was asked why he didn't play like multiple times. And he was like, this was the best decision for me. (laughs) It was not good. His interviews are like, if I was his team, I would say, just stop doing them. Yeah. Please, just stop doing them. But with that said, he's the eighth-ranked prospect on the no-ceilings uh, big board. 
he's a guy that I still think is so freaking talented that yeah. I would be willing to make the bet. Yeah. He's a guy that I spoke with um, a scout at a showcase last week asking him, you know, how he's worked out, how he's looked. And he's like, you know, I haven't personally seen him work out yet. We're working him out next week. But if you can't see the talent that this kid has, this is not the business for you. Wow. And he's just like, it's just the only question is what executive has the balls to select him. And that's what it's going to take because this is a kid and we've talked about him a few times. We've talked about him on other podcasts when we've, you know, I think we, we, we mentioned him on the, the locked on Nick's podcast when we went yeah. on there. Yeah. His and his shot making is innate. You know, when we talked about Usman Jang um, and how his playmaking was something that you and that feel was something that you can't teach. Shaden shot making is like, it's something that it feels like you can't teach. It's something that is just, he has these combo moves at such a young age. He's got range. It's effortless. He shoots a good ball. There's not much to critique and change other than like in his high school tape, he's settling for these shots, which is not abnormal for a high school kid in these unstructured settings, which is why it's so fucking frustrating that he didn't decide to play college basketball while he was at Kentucky. Cause you don't know what he looks like with structure you don't know what he looks like playing with other high level players playing in an offense running sets competing defensively you don't know now i he's been partaking in competitive workouts so i think that's a good sign because i think that there's a world in which his team is just like we're not working out right we're just doing one on oh like we're not playing against anybody so there that's where it reels me back in like okay he's he's willing to play in competitive settings but and he's super athletic like to me and i know he's not like as bursty as maybe as you want but as a vertical athlete he's got great body control even when he's not flushing it and he's got some monster dunks he's he's got that that body control that's so fluid and natural that like he could do those up and under finishes and still I feel confident he's going to finish it. He's I, his offensive package is really impressive. It's really impressive. So that's why it's so hard because he could legitimately be a multi-time all-star yeah. and I would take him over Benedict Matherin. Oh yeah. But yeah. many people would not, many people don't mm-hmm. want the mystery box when you can already see what you're getting. And obviously, you know, we're not privy to actually like sitting down with him one-on-one, getting to know him, watching him behind the scenes, watching how he approaches his workouts. We're not privy to that necessarily. We can do our best to ask for intel and stuff, but like that's part of the process where like you could actually make these decisions and and kind of project what kind of worker he's going to be. Yeah. But I would buy the lottery ticket. Corey, this reminds me. (laughs) couple nights ago i was on tiktok and for our listeners out there yes Corey and i are still young enough to be using tiktok yeah uh we were i was on tiktok and i saw this video of this kid he walks into like an antique store and he's trying to buy like i don't know i think it was like a cup or a mug or something and he goes up to the old lady at the counter and he goes uh man uh how much is this and she's like oh five dollars he's like okay i can give you five dollars of cash or i can give you this mystery box and she goes i, I can't accept the mystery box and he's like are you sure? Like there, there could be something incredible in here. And she goes, I don't want the mystery box. And she's like, she starts to get a little agitated. I don't want the mystery box. He goes, cool. He pays on the money. He takes the cup and he opens. He's like, do you, I mean, just out of curiosity, do you want to know what's in the box? And she goes, okay. He opens it up and it's like $10,000. And he's like, <laughs> I would have given you the $10,000. And her mouth just, her jaw just drops to the floor. And I was reminded of that because that literally may be shade and sharp for us. I think... Corey, just to kind of piggyback off of what you said. And I think I've said this before, either on this pod or in one of our group calls or whatever. Um, and people may scoff at this, but there's a real world where five years from now, he's the best player in this draft. And I've I've imagined, and oh no, I said this to you. I imagined like the Detroit Pistons grabbing him at number five, right? Going to Slam Magazine and having the, him and Kay do a cover shoot of 
uh, the, those two guys in the retro Detroit Pistons jersey, mm-hmm. and they're going to be like the next, next, I don't know, Grand Hill, Jerry Stackhouse, whatever. Right. You know, like I could see that happening. The kid is a real bona fide, talented player. Now, will this make sense? I don't know. And I love what you said. I was like, damn, like I wish he played at Kentucky. But Corey, if I could offer a little bit of maybe like a rebuttal to that is maybe he watched five minutes of severe Wheeler and was like, fuck that. I'm out. Is <laughs> <laughs> a real possibility, you know? And it's like, I don't want to play with that guy. So I, 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 but of course, like the selfish side of us as evaluators is goddamn. Like we wish you saw, we saw you play against other college basketball players. Like I get that. Um, but the tools are sick. Like he is a freak athlete. Like the people, people who are putting that label on Benedict Matherin, Chill out and go watch Shade and Sharp. He's more of a freak athlete by by a mile, in my opinion. Right? Uh, the handle, the jumper, all that stuff, the confidence. There's no fear with this guy. He will take it to the rack and try to put somebody on a poster. So, um, God, I say all this, and I'm still terrified of him too. Uh, he ended up eighth on my board. Um, so obviously, I don't have him in the top three or the top five. But I couldn't drop him out of my top ten either because that felt like an absolute mistake. Uh, like a terrible mistake. So yeah, he ended up at eight for me and everything that you said about him and his package and his skill set seems very real. And I can't wait to see it on NBA floor. And look, the passing is not there. He is a one pass away guy. He's, yeah. he yeah. is going to pass it to the closest guy to him when he can't get a shot off. He's not hitting the Luca Trey young right. coming off the screen. Weak side hit. He's not doing that. His defense very little of it. And again, unstructured AAU up and down. I wouldn't expect you to read too much into his defense in those settings. But if he went, like you said, to Detroit and Cade could run the show and he could just focus on running in transition, moving off ball and getting his own shot and just keeping the game simple. If he went to Indiana and he was playing with Halliburton and he could just focus on those things. If he went to Portland and he played off Dame and Simons and you saw how good they were at developing Anthony Simons and it took a while, but ultimately it really paid off because that kid looks like he could be an all-star one day. I mean, there's something, there's something to that range. I have him seventh on my board. (sighs) I have him seventh on my board. So in that range, I feel comfortable. I feel comfortable. I'm not passing on Jabari, Jaden Ivey. Like I, I'm not the known quantity. You mentioned the mystery box thing. Well, there's also the the Family Guy episode where you know Peter's offered a mystery box or a boat, and Peter's like, "Well, it. What if it's a boat in the mystery box?" <laughs> and then it's like, you know comedy club tickets instead of taking just taking the boat so i get there's the opposite to the ten thousand dollars mystery box there's the other way where it could potentially be nothing it could be bad but there's a reason that he was the number one ranked guy in the 2023 high school class before he reclassified there's a reason he was probably going to go into this year like mocked third after victor wimbayama and scoot henderson he's going to be one of the most interesting guys for us to follow next year because it's, it's going to show us like how much does missing developmental time matter. Yeah. You know, and and it's, it's going to be like, should you draft Shaden Sharp over Johnny Davis? Should you draft a Shaden Sharp? Because Johnny Davis, there's very few paths, I think, for him to be a superstar. Few paths? Oh, okay. A superstar. Oh, okay, okay. Okay? When I say superstar, I'm talking about Giannis, Embiid, Luka. I don't think Johnny Davis has that potential in him. I don't know if Shaden Sharp does. But I think he has the athletic tools to at least make it a conversation. So we'll see. It's going to be interesting. I'm with you, dude. 
he's terrifying. He's absolutely terrifying. And the ultimate test for me is I thought about it. If is if he's sitting there at 11, do I want the Knicks to take him? And the answer is yes, every single day of the week. So I think that speaks volumes as to how I feel about him as a prospect. Like, obviously, there are concerns. There are things that we should be weary about, scared of. There are areas of improvement for him. But if he's there at 11 and my Knicks are there, I think he should, I think the Knicks should take him every single day of the week. So I'm with you. I think the Knicks should yeah. take him. I think he's a, for a lot of the reasons we said with Halliburton and, you know, uh, and Cade, I think, you know, maybe he could be RJ's running mate. I don't know. I think, you know, play with IQ. Obi. Yeah. It's, a, it's a fun young core to think yeah. about. What do you, how are we feeling about the Knicks? What do you, what are you making of these rumors? You know, <sighs> I said, Corey, sometimes, to be honest, I just try to keep my hands away from my phone and let people go crazy on Twitter and not say anything because I think it's absolute just pandemonium, a uh, pandemonium before the draft. Always, every single year, Nick fans freak out about some potential trade of us moving up in the draft and grabbing some big name. And then you, you all these Nick fans go into their trade machines and say, you know, well, uh, with the Kings like, um, what can we throw at them? Uh, Ryan Archidiacono, uh, Taj Gibson. You know, it's nonsense. Like, I, I really don't see a world where the Knicks move up to four. I get it. I know Ian Begley mentioned some stuff and some offers have gone out there. And that's cool. Like, I'm sure Vivek got our offers and we're like, all right, fuck off. Like, I'm not I'm not giving you guys the fourth pick for a, for whatever, you know, dimes and nickels and pennies that you guys have for me. Um I think the Knicks are in a great position sitting at 11. I think there are going to be a ton of options for us there. All these wings that we talked about today may be there at 11 and other guys that I absolutely love could be at that spot. There's a real world where Shaden Sharp falls to 11 and the Knicks just grab him there and would be a great pick. So as a Knicks fan, I, I think I want to tell all the other Knicks fans out there to just breathe. Like we're going to be okay. We're not in a bad position right now. We have young players good young players on our team we have assets all these horrifying contracts that people want to portray as nightmarish contracts all of them have team options on the back end i'm feeling totally good i feel fine we're gonna get a good player at 11 or even if we trade back i'm sure that leon and our front office they're gonna make the best decision decision for our team i actually have a lot of confidence in them is where i'm at i think that that's how you should feel <laughs> i i heard i think that's rational I, I heard last week that if the Knicks are going to trade in this draft, it's more likely they trade back than trade up. And that's what they did last year. You know, last year when we were watching live and trying to stay off, I don't know if we were trying to stay off Twitter or the yeah. Barclays Center's Wi-Fi is just so terrible that we couldn't get service. I'm not sure which one it is because it's very hit or miss at, at the Barclays Center. Um, but the Knicks initially who they take Keon Johnson before oh. they traded back. Right. And you, we got your reaction on that live Kai and, Jones. uh, and then they initially, they traded back. So they have a history of trading back, getting value, finding their guys, their scouting has been on point lately. Yeah. yeah. I would trust them, whatever they did. If they did trade up, if they stayed put, if they trade back, I think regarding the draft, they've at least earned the trust of the fan base because, I mean, talk to any Knicks fan. None of them are out on Obi. None yeah. of them are out on IQ. Mm-hmm. Everybody loves Grimes. Sims. Um, Sims, you know, late in, real late in the draft. Got Rokas overseas. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone Deuce. loves Deuce. Like, yeah. they've gotten guys, the Knicks fan base. So I think you're in yeah. a good spot. In a good spot at 11. Agreed. Someone's going to fall. Exactly. And that's why we did the wild card draft last week because somebody is gonna shake up the lottery maybe two somebody's are gonna shake up the lottery and somebody interesting is gonna is gonna creep down the board yep. all right uh albert tell people what's going on where they can find you yeah uh you can find me at alberto gim on twitter uh, a lot has been going on with no ceilings it's been unbelievable for us uh cory and rucker and everybody um has just been we've been it feels like we're throwing a perfect game right now it's been unbelievable uh, super proud of everything that we've been doing. Um, as I've mentioned before, I did the Jalen Williams interview, which was a blast for me. 
uh, did the Dyson Daniels piece a couple of weeks ago or exactly two weeks ago, I think, which was fun for me as well. Uh, but yeah, we're going to be doing the live stream. Obviously, you're going to be talking about that after this, but um, it's been an exciting time and we're almost there. We're almost there. I'm so excited for the live stream. It's going to be such a fun night. The team is amped for it. We've been preparing. We've been designing and we got a we got a cool giveaway that that we'll announce um on the stream but we got a cool giveaway happening it's all happening it's all happening uh you can find me at cory Teleba. find uh my writing at no recently wrote about chet holmgren uh why he's a unicorn the best player in the draft and why we should stop overthinking it with tyler rucker and uh if you click on our names on the on the site, you could find all the pieces that we've written this year. Oh, yeah. And this is as good a time as any to just go back and read through all the stuff that that we've written, or just go into the search bar on NoCeilingsNBA.com and type in a player because we've written about nearly everybody. I got to count up how many articles that we've done, but we haven't missed a day Monday through Friday. Some days we posted multiple times and we even posted on the weekends some of the time. So we did so much work for this draft that there's something for you to find anywhere. As always, if you have not done so and you're watching live on YouTube, make sure throw us a like subscribe to no ceilings TV. That's where the draft stream is going to be seven 30 Eastern time on June 23rd. And then make sure to subscribe to the draft act NBA draft podcast anywhere podcasts are available give us a five-star rating that would be the sickest and we're getting close the draft is fast approaching it's your boys we out peace peace